Welcome back to Lessons for Tomorrow podcast, the motivational poster in your ear. I'm your host, Tim Melanius, VP of Strategic Initiatives at AmericanEagle.com. In this episode, we're going to be diving into the latest trends and changes in the payments world. And to discuss this, I am joined by none other than special guest speaker, Joe the Duke Campagna. How's it going? Good. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing very well. Welcome back. You were on a past episode. I'm looking forward to this one as well. We're jumping into some fun topics today. Really, first off, let's start with the question. Unpack no. the uncertainty of Fidelity National Information Systems going in. And spinning off and world spinning pay. off. So it was interesting when I read a little bit about this because a lot of the other players in the industry have had killer years. They've had solid integrations, but this one was really a mismatch of offerings, right? Like FIS was really good with banks and dealing with institutions and WorldPay was more of a consumer-based product tool. So they, they just never seemed to gel or congeal into one company. And, you know, it was bought four years ago. So you have to wonder, okay, you know, and we know integrations don't happen quickly. So at what point did they go, we just spent 43 billion mm-hmm. and this isn't working. If we're not going to get it to work, now we have to unpack it all. And so it seems like the last four years have just been probably a, a, a washing machine of ideas and everything else to get into the merger and then now to get out of it. Um, so that's the spin cycle. Because they're spinning the spin cycle. Okay. I like so make that. sure. Because we got the agitator typically in the middle, unless you don't have that in your fancy washing machines today. True. But the spin cycle is definitely what's happening here with all of that. Yeah. So it, and it's interesting. And, and WorldPay, you know, as much as, you know, they were a, a consumer based or merchant based one versus institutions and banks, they're also a patchwork of, of past mergers. So they, they're one of the few where when clients will come to us and ask us questions, it's not a simple, oh, yes, world pay. Because it's I tell and I explain to clients, it's like the 31 flavors of ice cream. It can all do that, but you can't mismatch. Like if you're on one network, you can't go to another one. Mm-hmm. And there's a few others who are like that. But world pay is really the, the biggest one like that. And it gets a little bit difficult um, when we're trying to either, you know, integrate someone or deal with it. It's not so easy. So it was fascinating to me that, you know, there's this massive merger made them the biggest payments industry, you know, company. And then all of a sudden, four years later, you're breaking up. But once you kind of read into it, why it was really just the cultures and the product offerings were never going to really work. Whereas you look at, you know, Chase Payment Tech, that was really a merger of of two companies coming together that almost did the same thing, but complementing each other and and they're doing well. So it, it's something to look at in that in in those terms. You know, I would still be leery of what's going on. WorldPay is always one that has confused me because of that, you know, multitude of mergers. But the others seem to be working in terms of, you know, that aspect of mergers and acquisitions. But now I think there's a lot of talk that that's going to be cooling, you know, for the obvious reasons economically of, of rates, of um, the uncertainty of the market, possibly supply chain. But you know, at the same time, this industry payments in general is recording record revenues. Amex had a great year, even though their CEO is still nervous about everything. Mm-hmm. But travel's coming back. People are spending more. Um, I believe there was uh, 12% growth, which is on par with pre-pandemic numbers, a little bit better even. So we've kind of, you know, we had that number where things were normal pre-pandemic and then everything skyrocketed during the pandemic online with payments and everything else. And then coming out of that and getting into what is the new normal, there was definitely a little bit of a, I wouldn't say a hiccup or a pause, but it was it was smaller growth. And now we're back to the pre-pandemic levels. But it's for everybody. Like everybody is doing well. Everybody's spending more again. 
um, in, in certain terms. So the payments industry is good. I don't think we'll see as much acquisition and where that'll be this year and into next with an election is, you know, if you can read those tea leaves, you should be an economist and yeah. probably doing your own podcast. Yes. Don't we wish all economists read their tea leaves? <laughs> so with that, we also had surcharge changes happen as a an area. So, I mean, what are the implications and updated pricing? And I mean, there's so many costs behind the scenes when it comes to uh, just payments, uh, both for the business, but then also for the end consumer, where a lot of that is now passed along. So if anyone's transacting with credit cards online, a lot of time you'll see that for donations and charities, you're being asked to cover the surcharge for the or the fees for the credit card if you're donating via credit card, which I would say a lot of the younger generations do. They prefer to put all that on the card, try and earn their points and all that fun loyalty stuff that I'm not going to get into on this show. But that might be a future topic that we discuss. Where does those surcharge changes come in and how's that been impacting the pricing overall? This was very much a, a bombshell to the industry. Visa, MasterCard, Amex, and Discover, the card brands change their rules twice a year, mm -hmm. April and October, clockwork. We know it's going to happen. But usually they kind of give you a heads up or they'll kick something down the road to the next one or they'll give you six months. Hey, this is something that's going to happen October or 2023 or 2024. This one came and it started to trickle out sometime in February. And then, you know, it started to grow legs and people were like, oh, well, maybe they'll pause it or do whatever. But Visa came out and said the old rule was, you know, 4% was the was the max because that's what Amex decided. We're now going to say the max that you can surcharge compliantly, we'll get into that in a second, is 3%, which was an enormous, you know, kick to the industry because nobody really expected it. And then you're asking everybody to, one, get new signage. They have to change a lot of technology. There's an aspect of what does the pricing mean for everything? So it was a, it was a big shakeup and we're still not seeing the resolution of this. As of April 15th, 3% is the legal card brand limit that you can surcharge. And, and the reason for that is if you take any of the four cards, you have to treat them all the same. So that means everybody is at 3%. The rule technically was five. Amex had a cap at four, so everybody was at four. It was three and a half, which seemed like a fair and right number. It didn't gouge the consumer. Mm -hmm. It didn't outprice the, the merchants, but they could cover all of their costs. So credit was technically being, the cost of it was being borne by the consumer. Now, the compliance side of it comes into debit cards. This is the part where I see, it gives me the most frustration and anger, is that when you do a debit card, it's considered a cash transaction. You are not allowed to add three or three and a half or any percentage to that in any way in, in traditional business environment. So that is priced differently. If I go and buy, you know, my, my hundred dollars worth of product or a donation on a debit card, it is a hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. If I do it with a credit card, then it would be 10350. So that is the part that a lot of technologies don't get right. Mm -hmm. And people will have a lot of misnomers about this. So Visa's definitely dropped a bomb. The question is, is will they, how will they enforce this? Because part of it was they wanted to protect consumers from overpricing and, and doing things incorrectly. And I'm all for that. But at the same time, there were a lot of people doing it correctly that were, weren't, you know, hurting the consumer that now are scrambling. So yeah. Visa is going to actually, you know, enforce the rules that they've set. There's nothing else we can do. That means that they're going to start writing letters and threatening merchants. And they're the ones who are going to pay, not the processors. They're the ones who are going to pay to be compliant if they're doing it incorrectly. And those fines can start to get steep quickly from anywhere from five to $25,000. Um, and it goes up if you continue to flout the rules. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. There's talk that it'll push people towards cash discounting, 
And the way to do that correctly is you don't say that something is $100 and then with a credit card, it's 103 You say the price is $100, but if you pay cash, it's 95 mm. So the cash is actually the lower price. And in certain states, Colorado being one of them, they'll actually put both prices there. So you, there is no confusion for the consumer. And hopefully it helps the merchant. But a lot of these merchants sign up for you know, solutions and softwares to run their business that aren't tied to this. To give you an example, I, I'm putting in a fence at my house. And he's like, you know, we charge this percentage over. And I was like, okay. I'm like, well, if you ever, you know, want to talk about it, it's really not technically correct. And he's like, well, we asked our guys and they said, you know, they basically gave him an answer mired in, you know, it was like, blah, 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 fraud, blah, blah. And I'm like, this has nothing to do with fraud. Mm. Like there's lots of other things to do with fraud, but not this. Yeah. This is them covering themselves. Just be aware that if you're not doing it correctly, there's, there could be implications. The interesting part is that, I, and I say that it hasn't completely shaken out yet, is that we don't really know what the resolved new pricing is. We knew what it was at three and a half. One of the vendors that we work with has released new pricing. It's now a flat percentage, but the next wave of that with the other providers that do it compliantly, we'll see. Yeah. So now you talk about cash though. I just want to make sure that we're clear here. You're not in the sense having people mail money into an online order. No. Good. I'm just making sure no. that we're clarifying that cash is through the debit card. Right. And all our listeners and, and people watching just know that when we talk cash, we're still talking debit card utilization in online formats. Now, in store, and this is where I've found a lot more stores, especially with those self-checkouts, those, you know, if you try and pay with cash, I tried to pay with cash the other day and it was a horrible experience. Right. It's just like default to the card, default to the card. The other thing I would say is debit cards, and this is more of just a security thing and a personal security thing, but I heard it in a, a seminar once that uh, be very cautious with a debit card because it's a direct connection typically to both checking and savings accounts for people. So when you use that to transact online, sometimes it's better to have a separate account tied to a debit card and you really just keep the certain amount of money in there that you need, not your entirety of everything. So from a security perspective, just want to give that shout out. It was a great security uh, seminar that we had. Wonderful speaker, but just want to put that in everyone's ears when we talk about debit. Yeah. Now, it does save you some money. What I've found is a lot of people don't mind paying that extra $3. Not and at all. I did it the other day with my license plate renewal here in uh, Illinois, and we, we won't talk about that whole corruption. But overall, uh, just why do I have to have two plates? Every other state has one, it seems. There's probably some out there. But either way, we won't go there. I digress. Yeah, no, the, the debit the debit is a direct cash transaction from your account. It's mm -hmm. facilitating it through the card. The credit is a loan of what your limit is. But yeah, no, it's a very good point. The The debit is definitely better for the merchant. We really don't see many points or, or benefits to the consumer on debit because it is cash. But if there is a breach and their money comes out and there's an issue with your debit card, that is your money. Yeah, The credit is their money. Mm -hmm. um, and their money seems to always get rectified faster than your money. Correct. Um, From a fraud perspective, if right. that happens, if that number was ever uh, in a data breach, that's something that you can go and have that conversation with faster with the credit card companies, slower with the banks who your debit cards are typically from. Right. So anyways, we're not here for a security session. We're here to talk about payments and other changes. So let's jump into talking about B2B processing. It's in the spotlight. It is the new sexy. So the Duke is in the spotlight with the new sexy of B2B processing. Yeah. Tell me more about it. So it's funny, like being an American Eagle, we know B2B is not new. But a lot of the companies, there was always the focus on B2C, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, but B2B is really starting to have its day, which is, I think, going to be interesting for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, 
there's a good reason for it. There's 30 trillion, according to the Straw Hacker Group, in 2023 in in processing, and that's 60 percent of electronic payments. You know, in 2018, it was 47 percent. So the growth here is massive. Mm-hmm. Businesses, I think, are starting to to lean more towards the credit card for a variety of reasons, whether it's payments between themselves, extending terms. Mm-hmm. You know, you can extend out the payment to your vendor and the vendor can get the money faster. There's lots of room there. The expected growth rate of this market is almost 22% in the next five years. You know, it, it's just a massive explosion. And by 2025, they expect a lot of B2B to be 80% digital. Stripe and Square, they were the ones who really focused, but now they're starting to turn towards the B2B market. Um, you know, per Visa, businesses were expecting, they're really looking for more of a consumer-based solution. Like, Previously or right today, it's it's not a pretty looking page or it's in the B2B market. It's not an easy consumer experience, but that is something that is expected to change because I think there is more focus on it and, and people expect it. If they see it in their day-to-day lives when they're shopping on Amazon or everywhere else off of their phone. They're going to start to ask, why isn't it this simple when I'm doing something yeah. for my business um, is a big part of it. There's definitely challenges, and the challenges are between the gateways, the processors, and certain software solutions. They really do stifle choice. There's not a lot of choice out there, and that can drive up costs. It can drive up integration times, and it can be difficult. So that's the part where I think it'll be interesting to see, does does this focus give businesses more choices? Because sometimes they'll choose a solution, and it'll be, this is your payment processor, and this is your cost, and this is what it takes to get done, and you're like, but is there another option? And they're like, no. It's like, all right, well, how come I can choose if I had a different business or a di- the, the, the lack of choice has been, a re- I think, a real issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's forced us to really think creatively of how do we get other processors in on certain solutions? And it's not easy, but it's possible. Yeah. So. so with all that, and you talked about some of those different implications, but what about ERPs, right? So our Traditionally, those have one payment method and you, you know, are they starting to also evolve and add multiple and kind of come up to speed with all the changes in the industry? I think it's a little bit the ERPs. I think that the bigger drive is coming from some of the processors. Mm-hmm. Some of them are, are also starting to realize, hey, we've always focused on the smaller merchant. Or we've always focused on travel. or We've always focused on these, you know, jeweled companies. Like I have this airline or I have this hotel. Well, you have some of these ERPs that, you know, maybe they have companies you've never heard of, but that company does 50 million a year in electrical mm-hmm. supply. That that 50 million isn't nothing. Yeah. So there, I think I, I have a couple processors that we work with that have talked to us and said, hey, if we were to integrate into this ERP, are there any clients there? And you're like, yeah, I got 15. I could talk to you tomorrow. Like yeah. they have one option. And they're like, okay, we're working on a on a business case study. I'm like, you don't need to work on it. It's, it's, it's there. there. Yeah. You need to do it. So I think the processors and those will drive it. The stripes and the squares might get there a little bit quicker mm-hmm. because they will just throw an army of developers at it yeah. potentially. But, you know, are they still the best value for it is hard to say. So I think the processors will drive the ERPs to open up if they will. Mm. Interesting. So with the ERPs, with e-commerce systems, all the different payment aspects, we also had aspects of buy now, pay later. And we talked a little bit about that on our last show. Mm-hmm. Now, BNPL, buy now, pay later, BNPL, just to reiterate the acronym for everyone as we continue to utilize it. Apple has now introduced its product version of buy now, pay later. Um, They also added their own savings account thing, which is kind of interesting and uh, high yield and 
immediate access to money and they're really they're really playing in the financial world now which is interesting apple pay has really grown it's pretty much everywhere for what i have seen or at least where i shop and it's great it's very convenient it's very fast and it works Mm -hmm. um so tell me a little bit more about how buy now pay later uh is being used for more than just physical goods but for other products and groceries are an example but what's the bigger broader economic impact of bnpl so there's it's interesting you know with apple getting into it and I th- and we talked about this in the banks getting into it, mm-hmm. the Klarna's and the affirms of the world who were VC backed at some point, they have to become profitable. Yeah. Apple's profitable for a lot of other reasons. And they sit on probably all of the money, it seems. Mm-hmm. And for them getting into this financial side of things, I think it's it's a harbinger for others to be careful because mm-hmm. they will innovate you out. But they also have the phones in the marketplace. They have the merchants already there. And they can just come at you at scale that not many people can. So I think it's it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, the BNPL side, though, you know, in terms of that is, you know, Apple's also reporting in. So that's something that some of the others don't do. Um, but the physical goods, you know, the recent one that I saw that was interesting is that people are starting to do it with groceries. Mm-hmm. So we, we know that I am reluctant for BNPL. I personally don't use it, but when you see people are using this for groceries and smaller items, I think that's something that's curious to me. Like, mm-hmm. where is this going? Why is this even being offered yeah. in the grocery store? Because if you're on this perpetual treadmill or, or hamster wheel of paying for your groceries one fourth at a time, it's not like you can buy jeans and not wear the you know wear them for ten years. You're going to be getting groceries every week. So yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see if that continues to grow. The other part of it is is that, you know, Visa had a thing about Gen Z and millennials. And it's funny, it was like, they're like, they're one third of the population. I'm like, well, they're middle-aged. Like they're middle-aged, that means they're not pre-age and they're not old age. So a third makes sense. Mm-hmm. But they're finally coming into their buying power. They're they're able to buy houses. They're starting to make money. And these are the ones though that grew up with technology. Like as a Gen Xer, I remember, and, and we like to joke, I remember floppy disks. Mm-hmm. I remember going to the computer lab because I didn't have a laptop. Mm-hmm. This isn't f- that for them. These right. are not early adopters. This is life for them. Mm-hmm. So for them, buy now, pay later, they, they're adapted into it. There's a 30 to 40% um, penetration rate already into these uh, into these age groups. So it'll be interesting to see how they go. But they're also ones who are cautious around credit. They don't like to get into debt. They don't want to be their parents, do their parents' mistakes. So I think the buy now, pay later will be interesting. I think you're seeing some larger players get into it. You're seeing a segment of the economy willing to use it, but they're also not going to, I think, you know, abuse it. But there still are issues where, you know, there are people who are economically fragile, who are using this a lot. And is this going to, you know, hurt them more than it helps them will be, will be interesting. So my experience with buy now, pay later, I tried it when uh, we were buying mattresses just because I was like, yeah, it's mm-hmm. new. This was a five, six years ago when it was through a firm. And it was an interesting experience. But again, I'm like you. I really don't care to use it myself. The intrigue around the groceries, is, it's weird to me too because it's something that you do have as a regular purchase. So like subscription models make sense where like this Amazon subscribe and save mm-hmm. and, and other places where I know that I need this always. And here's the, the you know cycle between when I need to have it arrive and you can plan that out. And there are some cost savings when you look at it. But what's amazing is 
a lot of the buy now, pay later, and you know, I'm going to lump subscription in right now with it too. There's aspects to where you really should look at the total cost. For a while, there's a few uh, BNPL providers where there was additional charges and percentage interests being charged against your full purchase. And over time, you actually would end up paying more than the actual cost should have been right. if you paid up front. And so I just encourage people to make sure that you always look at the totals on both options. And then obviously you have to make a choice for yourself. But at the end of the day, I do see a consolidation eventually happening. I kind of equate it to where Chase QuickPay and Zelle kind of had their little moment of <laughs> turf wars. And now right. Zelle is kind of really one out for the majority. And right. uh, it's it, like I, you do Zelle through your bank account. You do Venmo, you know, offline. Uh, I, I got off Venmo. Venmo okay. is a very... That's a whole episode of its own. Okay. Okay. But Venmo, Venmo, I've had nothing but security concerns and issues with incorrect payment amounts, incorrect money sends. Okay. And there is no responsibility on their end. Nope. For they're ensuring just a they're just a facilitator. Yep. So if you accidentally send the money to the wrong person, good eh. luck. Hopefully they're a good citizen. And I think one of the things that's really interesting with Apple getting into this market, and I said, you know, they've got the people with the devices. How easy is it to find things on your phone with an app? Mm -hmm. And you can search and be like, hey, how much buy now, pay later do I owe Apple? Yeah. And it's like, there's the number. If yeah. you ask people for other things or other thing or, or, or other aspects of it or their password, they're never going to know. Yeah. But my face will open the app and tell me exactly what that yes. is. And there's an ease to that that has made Apple Pay as powerful as it is. Oh, yeah. I, and when it first started, it was, I think it was a little slow. People weren't sure about the adoption. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how many years later we are now. No one thinks twice about it. Yep. It is, you know. Well, especially when more POS systems and physical stores added the tap to pay mm -hmm. with the NFC uh, devices that really, I think, spurred it. The Apple Watch, I, 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 I use it occasionally, but I really do the phone more often if I'm doing a tap to pay somewhere. But I go to a place now and if I can't tap to pay, I'm like, uh, okay, yeah, I do have a credit card here that I have to put in and, and, and use that chip reader, the wireless in them now. And it, the watch thing is interesting. The, the danger of the watch. So I recently got back from Disney and Disney, you have the magic band. The magic band is magical because yes. it gets you on the ride. But if you're like, we need a water, give me a second. Mm -hmm. Here's your water. It's almost like Amazon yeah. where you have to go on. But this, you don't even need it. You have no concept of what you're, you're like, how mm -hmm. much is this? You want to Fine. All right, you're yeah. sad. Here, uh, and you use the magic band. This is the same thing. Yeah. So the fact that you know, as the Duke points to his Apple Watch. As I point to my Apple Watch. Sorry. As I point to my Apple Watch, it's the same concept where you can literally use the Apple Watch to just pay for things. The danger becomes, for me at least, is realizing how much have I actually spent. Mm -hmm. You know, and and where are you seeing that hit? Because yeah. you know, I have an Apple Card and I yep. use it, and you know, it's typically tied to getting lunch or an app of some sort, mm -hmm. and. The monthly and the funny thing is I don't even know sometimes what's on there, but I get the your Apple your Apple card has been paid. I'm like, yeah. well, that's good news because it also forces you to do it automatically. Mm -hmm. But if you're like, what was your last Apple card statement? Joe, I'd be like, I have no clue. But you asked me what Amex and Mastercard were, I'll tell you down yeah, to the penny. Exactly. So you know, I, and that's what that younger generation's grown up with. To your point right. earlier, they have just grown up with technology in their hand, and so for them, it's just this almost. I don't want to mindless isn't the right word, but it's the it's you don't have to think about that physical action. Like when I was paying with cash back as a kid, mm -hmm. it was like one dollar, two dollars, ten dollars. Oh, my gosh, I'm handing this all over now. 
it's not even just the swipe anymore of the plastic. And that was the trouble with credit cards, right? That got a lot of people into, in, into yep. debt and trouble is they could just swipe. And then they weren't thinking about it until the statement came. And then it was a different scenario. Right now, you don't even get that statement directly. You have to go and look for it. And it's all there and it's easy yep. to consume when you look for it. But most people just don't look for it anymore. Budgeting is a whole different conversation. That just doesn't happen. I'm trying to get my kids into it, so I show them how I do it so that they're aware. But they're just like, oh, well, you know, Dad, that's $18. Why not? Well, and it's funny you say that because so I have twin daughters. They are six, and they love to shop. They love <laughs> to shop with my and my wife's money. Yeah. So if you've ever been to a Claire's and those who, you know. I have four boys, so fortunately I don't have to go into that You're very store. lucky, man. <laughs> So they're like, we want to go to Claire's daddy. I'm like, okay, well, you have $40 each. And I'm like, and you're paying with your money in Claire's. And I had to tell like the aunt and the grandmother with us, you will pay for nothing. You can this get, is like, a lesson. Whole store for $40. You can get quite a bit. But it was fascinating <laughs> for them to come up and go, daddy, this is beautiful. Can I get it? I'm like, yes, it's $23. And to see their face go, wait, if I have 40 and this is 23 yeah, I'm going to put that back. Mm -hmm. And they really learned about that. There were still certain things I had to say no to, like you're not getting fake nails. But, <laughs> you know, but the fact that they literally went through and got things that were a little bit less compulsive or, mm -hmm. you know, impulsive, I think is the word. Better is probably the correct word. It was fascinating. And that's where they're starting to learn it. And, and I think that's something that we forget as adults. Yeah. But it was it was good to see. I'm like, OK, great. They're at least appreciating mm -hmm. that this money is going to go quickly. Yeah. And that's my concern, too, is as these younger generations grow up, especially you know, kind of bring us back to the Apple Pay, the buy mm -hmm. now, pay later is, oh, you know what? I It's it's only 20 bucks a month, but it's spread out and you're still going to pay it no matter what. Right. So and if you miss a day, payment, it's now 25 bucks. a correct. month. Correct. Yes. So. And so that's an important aspect that people just have to take into consideration. And that's where I think and I, I always want to give the benefit of the doubt. But there's a lot of technology that is created from an addictive perspective and the way that certain things are, I even look at like some of the, the healthy sugar drinks that are, I call them sugar drinks, but they're the, the healthy sports drinks is really the phrase <laughs> I should use. Uh, but honestly, if you actually start looking and examining the ingredients that are within them, a lot of those ingredients are because they know that it has an addictive nature overall. And the same is said for credit cards and the use of, oh yeah, I can just put it on the card and it's not immediate cash out of your hand. Yeah. And I think that's just something that, the generations like us and mm -hmm. on, and older, it was a bigger issue when you went in for especially larger payments of, oh, wow, this is, you know, do I really need this right now right. versus now I, I found it easier too. And even with the cost rising for lunch, oh my gosh, it's so easy to just go and oh, let me order a lunch. But by the time you actually look at it, you're like, holy crap, I could probably feed my family. Well, I have a large family with four boys, but I could probably feed them for a couple days with what I spend on a lunch here versus going to the grocery store, buying the meat, bread, mm -hmm. vegetables, et cetera. And uh, yeah, so it's it's one of those. I just encourage everyone, do your research, understand how that payment choice impacts you, but really consider the BNPL and make sure it works for you and your need. Yeah, I, th I think it's a big part. It's, it's just know that it works for you. There's lots of changes still coming in this. Yeah. Apple coming out with it is an interesting one to follow because I think they'll have fewer write downs. I mean, yeah. knock on wood, that would be a prediction purely based on their capability. Well, and now that new savings account I briefly mentioned earlier. Yeah. So, of course, being an Apple fanboy, I signed up for it immediately. 4%. But it's, well, four point something. And yeah. it's better than your normal savings account at any bank in the United States. Uh, but 
the fact that they come in and you can get your money pretty quickly out of it, which is more difficult with other high yield savings accounts, mm -hmm. but also anything that you earn off their card automatically goes into it to also be earning on that too. So there's a little bit of an automated payment aspect to this. And there's some others that have been out there before, but to your point about Apple, when they come in to start innovating in an industry, watch out because the minute that they're interested in you or your industry means that they're going to probably come out with something that's going to knock you out. So unless you partner or you figure out another unique direction, they usually have a great reason why they're entering a specific market. I like yeah. the healthcare with the watch. It's amazing. That helped me uh, recently. I was traveling, had high heart rate alerts and everything, ended up with pneumonia and an upper respiratory virus and was in the hospital for a week out of state. And all because of my watch telling me, hey, your resting heart rate is above 100 beats per minute. And it was consistently above that. Right. And so it kind of caused that something seems to be going on. Maybe I should go get this checked out. And sure enough, it was beneficial. Now, there's been other much more specific life-saving stories on how yeah. that tech helps. But I look at that with saying, hey, how does this payment industry also start to help people? Well, that Apple, and I'm, I'm picking on Apple here in a good way, the ease of how they show you your payments and when to make them and how much your cost will be if you don't fully pay, I love that interface because yeah. it is very intuitive versus you go to any other credit cards online system or you app. You glaze over in 30 seconds of oh confusion. Oh my gosh, it's so confusing yeah. on some of them. This circle goes and you're like, wait, oh, this all makes sense. Yes. Yeah. So that's the one thing I do think that having someone come in from outside the industry and while they're partnered with Goldman Sachs for behind the scenes mm -hmm. of everything, the ability and innovation that they brought to it is key. And I'm excited to see how that keeps going in the payment industry area. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it'd be, I know that we were working on things here when it comes even in the B2B market with Apple Pay and some of the offerings there, yeah. which is going to make things easier. So, I mean, there's a lot that's, that's there, mm -hmm. you know, to kind of, you know, tie everything together. Apple's an interesting solution. BNPL is here to stay. It's not no. going anywhere. It's how, who's going to be the winner. And this is not something I think that's decided in the next year or two, um, partly economically, but also I think the innovation. And then the B2B space is going to be another one to watch, I think, over the next six months to a year to see, are there broader offerings? Who is really making a play for this space? And, and how is that going to work for everybody? Yeah. Um, but it, it was funny, like I said, when the B2B, when like B2B is the new, I'm like, this isn't new. And I'm sure every business person listening is going, We've been making payments for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Thank you for paying attention yeah. um, and offering us a choice. Yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 is as much as it is a an industry of of growth and and having a good time and a good year this year for things. There's still a lot of innovation to be had in exchanging funds and money. Mm -hmm. And we've never talked about open banking, and I think that's something you know that's going to start to come as well at some point. Yeah. Um, but that's another another, another episode. Great, we'll have the Duke back for that. Uh, Joe, you already answered my usually last question of what do you see kind of the future and what you just talked through. So we don't have to go there with the crystal ball, which I'm excited about okay. because it means we get to have you on a future episode and we'll talk about open banking. There's so much there. I appreciate it. Joe, the Duke, Campania here, making sure that we know all about the payments industry and with the changes that are happening. I want to thank all of you for tuning into the future by listening or watching the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast. For more information about the topics discussed today, check out the description of this episode. If you want us to cover a specific topic or submit feedback, please email us at lessonsfortomorrow at americaneagle.com and let us know. Be sure to follow this podcast wherever you listen or watch to them to stay up to date. And while you're at it, if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating, we would really appreciate that. And 
always, always share this podcast with others. We greatly appreciate when you share to prepare them for the future. Don't forget to follow us on social media where sometimes I'm there and sometimes I'm not. Depends on the day and the channel. This episode is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. I'm your host, Tim Alanius, and I'll catch you in the next lesson.